0: This is the Kids Climate Crisis Podcast, where student reporters interview people about the climate crisis, We talk to activists, organizers, scientists, and reporters about how climate change has affected them and us.
1: My name is Malia Ledesma, and I'm in the fifth grade.
0: My name is Caseline Rodriguez and I'm in the fourth grade. We wanted to learn more about the climate crisis because we think it's very important for young people and people who are not aware about climate change to know how important it is to take care of this planet.
1: We interviewed Jackie Fielder about what she does as an activist and her concerns about what's happening to climate change. Thank you for taking your time to come talk to us today. Um, Thank you. I'm nervous. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. One question I really wanted to ask you was, what
2: led you to become an activist? Yeah, that's a great question. What led me to become an activist is, in college, I was organizing around trying to get more students from um, underrepresented backgrounds to think about college. And I started to organize around that, organizing tours for visiting schools and really wanting to contribute back in that way so doing a lot of volunteering there and have done a lot of volunteering for lots of different causes over the years but basically in 2016 i saw that there was this pipeline set to go through my ancestral territories in the dakotas and there was a an in person movement they were doing protests to bring awareness to the injustice of the pipeline going through our territories without our consent, you know, without our permission. And I basically wanted to support from afar here in California. Our city government here in San Francisco puts all these billions of dollars into big banks, like Bank of America and Chase and Citibank. And I wanted to make sure that we didn't do business with those banks because those banks are financing the pipeline. So got to organizing and put out on social media uh, a big invitation to anyone who wanted to support this cause to come to City Hall. And so we slowly grew from just a lot of strangers to then a real organization and coalition working to get our city out of these banks and also to spread the awareness around the country about banks and their relationship to fossil fuels and fossil infrastructure. And of course, always uplifting the rights of Indigenous people.
1: When you went to the pipelines protest, how was it? Like, was it a little bit awkward for you to be there for the first time? or?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit new and weird to come in because I, I'm i from California, which is completely different than the Dakotas. And I was born and raised in California. There was snow on the ground when I was there. So I had to buy new clothing to be able to withstand the cold. But the people that I met at the camp were very welcoming. And we found out that we had a lot in common, actually, despite growing up in different places. We have, of course, similar backgrounds, and we were also youth, and we're also just feeling really called to contribute to this movement. And so the folks that I met were really kind and welcoming. And that's been the case in a lot of different places in movements, as it feels a little weird because. You're there to stand up for what you think is right. And some other people may disagree with you in the world or society, but then you find people that um believe in the same things that you do. And it's really comforting. It's it becomes easier.
0: Wow, that hearing that, especially that last part, um, it, it made me think of something. Can you tell me a bit about your mother? Was she the reason you became an activist?
2: Did she agree with you? (laughs) my mom my mom is um she's very supportive my mom um my mom and I don't agree on everything but she has been supportive and proud I think that I stand up for what I believe in and she's always encouraged me to aim high and I think that she does especially when it comes to indigenous rights support the cause um but yeah, she, she's definitely um, been a big, played a big role in my life and has been a, a source of uh, inspiration at times. And other times we like to argue about things. What actually led you to protesting with Indigenous people? My father's parents grew up and were raised on Indian reservations in North and South Dakota, separate Indian reservations. And what a reservation is, is basically it's a, a piece of land where they have different laws, mostly the same as the United States, but their, their own governments, these tribal governments. And there's a whole history around, you know, the land being stolen and trees being broken. And the Dakota Access Pipeline Movement was around a treaty being broken. I got involved simply because the pipeline actually starts in the Fort Birdfield Reservation, which is where I'm technically a tribal citizen. I'm a citizen of the three affiliated tribes, and they voted to open our lands to oil drilling back when I was maybe in middle school or high school. It's certainly a controversial topic on and off the reservation and among the tribal members but the youth on the reservation have gotten involved since and before the Dakota pipeline movement took off to try to advocate for our lands to close down to oil drilling but i got involved because the pipeline is, is directly on the reservation and also affects all of the drinking water because you know the pipeline is boiling oil right now and the risk of it breaking is really high and if and when it breaks the water in the Missouri river will be contaminated and really hard to clean and that's going to affect all the drinking water for the people upstream which include a lot of Indian reservations but also non-Indian people in South and North Dakota so I got involved because it's also really personal I don't know that I even had an intention to be an activist. It's mainly, I've just seen it as saying what I think is right and trying to change the world around me. It's interesting because there's some people who will always have clean water, will always be able to afford food and healthcare and housing and can go on vacation a lot. And there are other people who who don't have that luxury. And just to advocate for clean water you know, for some people in the world, they're automatically considered an activist when they're really just trying to survive and make sure that future generations can survive. So it was less of an intentional choice, but I will say that I knew that I wouldn't be happy doing something that I didn't really care about. You kind of have to choose what job you're going to work to pay the bills as you're, you know, on your own. Some people have to do that earlier. But I definitely have the privilege and education to be able to have a lot of choice in what I do and be able to pay the bills while also doing the work that I love is such such an honor. But before I wanted to be a doctor and I really just wanted to do that to help people. It wasn't necessarily because I was particularly passionate about biology. In fact, it wasn't my strong suit and neither was chemistry, which you definitely need to become a doctor. And in my freshman year in college, it just just got to be too difficult. And I wasn't passionate enough about the subject material to get through all of the the years of schooling that you need. So I decided to redirect my path. And I chose government, because I actually did care about, at the time, I was really interested in education policy and looking back at my own school experiences and how much better it would have been for my classmates if we had a more equitable school system where hopefully a lot of schools get enough resources so that all the kids have, have as many opportunities to do what they want in their life, whether that's being a doctor, being an artist or whatever. But it was important to me then and important to me now that I just do what I love and care about. That's amazing. I
1: actually want to be a doctor too. But um, it, I know it does take a lot of work to to actually become a doctor because you have residency and all of these other stuff. But now that you're an activist and you're a little bit more experienced than when you first started, what movements are you working against now?
2: Now I'm still in the movement around divestment. I'm with an organization called Stop the Money Pipeline. We are doing a lot around empowering grassroots activists to take action at their local banks and trying to strategize around how to make sure that the banks actually stop finding some fossil fuels, which is incredibly difficult because money and money is still rules everything. Still involved with the public banking work locally. I'm on a city commission, so I'm a commissioner that oversees that work learning a lot and thinking of ways to make sure that San Francisco can meet its climate goals to be completely on renewable energy by 2030. So looking at where our power comes from and if we can substitute fossil fuel power for solar and wind and and other forms, but it's all really complicated and it, it requires talking to a lot of experts and a lot of community advocates and Ultimately, making sure that when we do transition to renewable energy power, that the people that had jobs in oil and fossil fuels, that they still have jobs and are taken care of, or making sure that it's not more expensive, especially for people who are already struggling to pay to keep the power on in their house, Um, things like that. So lots of learning, um, but staying in the movements. Um, that I've been in for the past few years, and and always supporting other movements where I can.
1: Hearing about all these um, movements that you're participating in, we heard a lot of the vocabulary word disinvestment. What does that mean, and how does it relate to climate change?
2: Yeah, we'd like to know. (laughs) Disinvestment or divestment, they're often used interchangeably, so they often are used in place of each other. And disinvestment basically means pulling out your investments or your money, if you have them, from something that you don't believe in. It's been a tactic. so a strategy, draw attention and also push for civil rights going back to South Africa when they had apartheid. And divestment was really deployed back then in. 80s and 90s. And at that point, a lot of countries were divesting their funds and not buying from South African companies until they ended apartheid, at least legally. So that that was a tactic and it carried on to the No Dakota Access Pipeline movement. So the Dakota Access Pipeline is nicknamed DAPL for short and the hashtag at that point was defund Dapple. So, a lot of people at the time decided that they didn't want to bank with the major Wall Street banks like Bank of America or Wells Fargo who are financing the pipeline company and so they decided to take their money out and they switched to either a smaller bank in their neighborhood or a different bank that didn't have any fossil fuel investments. And part of my work right now is to make sure that all of those banks that say that they're not financing fossil fuels are telling the truth because some of them, what we call a greenwash, they may tell little lies or try to, try to be very tricky about their language to hide that they actually are financing fossil fuels. So this, this investment basically just means taking out your money.
0: Thank you for telling us. What that meant, but um, are you in any sort of way under pressure? And so, what what do you think is causing it? Like, is all this work that you're doing to help the community putting you under pressure?
2: I felt it more when I ran for office, you know, because people are looking and they're gonna vote on whether you should be their representative in the government. So at that time, I felt a lot more pressure than I do now. I love being back in. Organizing and it's a lot less pressure, but I do feel a responsibility and accountability to make sure that I use my voice, my resources, my time as much to the benefit of my community as possible. But, you know, in order to keep going, you also have to really take some time for yourself and rest up and make sure that you're seeing friends and you. You know, whether you have hobbies or you like to play sports, I'm doing a lot of yoga these days, and that's new. And I'm also, because I'm not running for office, I have so much more time to see friends, which has been amazing and lovely. Having free time on the weekends, taking care of a lot of adult tasks like bills and taxes and insurance. But all of that to say that it can be a lot of pressure if you are. A community leader, but it's not any one person who is responsible for getting something done in a movement. It has to be a number of people. It has to be hopefully a whole movement. And and that can only really come from the well-being of everyone individually. So have to look out for ourselves and have to look out for each other.
1: That's amazing. You must have to be really brave to run for office. <laughs> but um, I, with all this pressure, and I, 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 get that it can sometimes be very difficult what if
2: anything what gives you hope overall probably people like you too and younger people who are very excited about learning about how to make change and also international movements too because I think we can get really stuck thinking that especially in our country, in our neighborhood, things are going to be this way forever. But then you can look outside, especially with the internet these days and see how things are different elsewhere, where things might be more equitable, where everyone has shelter and free healthcare and housing and fresh nutritional food or lots of vacation time and leisure time that they can spend with friends and family, things like that.
0: What are things that everyday people listening to this can do to help?
2: When it comes to Indigenous rights, I think it's really important to learn about the history of where you are currently, whether you're in a suburb or city or a rural place, wherever you are in in the U.S., there were Indigenous people at one point who were stewards of that land. And so I think the first step would be to learn about who those people were, what customs they had, what languages they were speaking, what they believed, how they did tend to and relate to the land. Maybe they had certain foods that are no longer around, or certain plants that they use to make tools and sustain their lives. If you belong as a customer to one of the banks, you can either divest or you can now, the Stop the Money Pipeline Coalition has this program called Customers for Climate Justice. And you can Google it, but Basically, we give people actions to do to ask their bank to stop financing fossil fuels. And it really bugs them, which we love to do. But other than that, I would say it really just depends on where your passion meets your hobbies or skills or things that you love to do. Everyone has a role in combating climate change and making sure that we find environmental racism But it really just depends on what talents you want to bring to the movement. But whatever you do, whether it's taking photos or painting or baking, or you're really good at organizing or managing tasks or singing, there's all kinds of efforts you can fundraise for. And maybe there's a local fossil fuel plant or infrastructure project that is going to be proposed in your neighborhood and not far from your neighborhood. And you can try to find out how to get involved.
1: So yeah, there's a place for everyone. That's truly amazing. And I know specializing in a lot of stuff, they must always be a connection. So how, if at all, do you see those issues connecting to each other?
2: All these different issues are so connected, whether it's indigenous rights or anti-Black racism and making sure that Black Americans feel as much freedom as possible in this country, or whether it's climate change or the free movement of people across borders it's all related and ultimately we want everyone to live a dignified life and have agency over their lives get the freedom to choose what they want to do with it as long as it doesn't hurt other people but they're all related certainly because unfortunately there's a lot of money to be made by continuing to restrict people's civil rights and to poison or, or at least risk poisoning their water sources there's a lot of money involved in fossil fuels which is why it's so hard to push for for us to make the transition to a renewable energy economy so we also have to have like a a cultural shift when it comes to money but they're all tied in the legacy and U.S. history and the struggles for civil rights. So we have to make sure that we continue to fight for each other, even though we may also be fighting for ourselves.
0: Wow. Um, Thank you. Uh, So speaking of like people from different races and indigenous people, what do you feel about racism?
2: (sighs) I wish it didn't exist. That's my feeling overall. It's been a long time that people have been fighting it. You know, we often think about MLK, but even before then you have abolitionists fighting slavery, indigenous peoples fighting in many ways, in similar ways around indigenous rights and sovereignty. Unfortunately, it will probably be the case that it it continues to exist for a long time. And I think it's important to kind of grieve that it might be around for a long time. I I definitely have more faith in the next generation, especially with all of the different youth-led movements happening in the past however many years. Like I have a sister who's 15 and she's a sophomore and she's certainly growing up in an age that was even much different from mine and we're only apart by 11 years. So I have a lot of faith in the next generation to make even bigger achievements than the past 50 years in civil rights and learning, but it may take a long time and we have to take care of each other while we get there. That that's truly
1: amazing. And I still think that even though we had the civil war and stuff, I still think it's not truly over because we still deal with it today and uh, I totally agree with you. I think there's a lot more hope in my generation. so I hope there's a lot more hope for everything else, uh, including the pipelines and climate change and I just hope that all of this really ends soon
0: yeah it's it's really sad that people are still fighting over things like this and you know people are doing bad things like this horrible things wasting money on horrible things and I feel like if a miracle happened and it all ended and things were at peace, that would be like amazing. That would be literally amazing. Do you have time for one more question?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: What do you feel about like what's going on everywhere? What's the worst thing that's happened that you wanted to change?
2: I would say most recently, there's the Line 3 pipeline. It's separate from the Dakota Access Pipeline. It's about 300 miles away from the Dakota Access Pipeline. And it's in Anishinaabe territory in what we know as Minnesota. So the Anishinaabe peoples have not given their consent, you know, their permission for this pipeline. And they mounted several protests I mean, more than 600 protests, individual actions last year and in the years leading up to then, and they did everything possible. They sent letters to the president. They protested outside the White House. They sent letters and had meetings with high leaders in the federal government and also the state government. We had this defund line three campaign. We were asking the banks to stop financing the pipeline. All of this effort, and still the pipeline was built. So that's been a huge heartbreak for a lot of us in the movement, and especially the Nisshabe people who their wild rice, their manum is at stake and is threatened by the pipeline breaking. So that's been a, another hard event to deal with, and I wish I wish it wasn't happening. We will continue to fight to make sure that that really no more pipelines are built or other fossil fuel products are built. But when you look at the global context, a lot is at stake and a lot are set to be built. So we need all hands on deck to slow it as much as possible. Thank you for being here
1: and for taking the time out of your day to do that.
2: Thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure to share what I can with you both. So thank you. It's
1: truly amazing getting to know more about other people Cause i feel like it can also help you guide yourself a little bit with what you want to do and how you do things so thank you for for being here um and i had a great time with you yeah thank
0: you thank you so much and honestly you you helped the community so much like i feel like soon you're going to change the world
1: We would also like to give thanks to Emily and Julia for helping us make this podcast episode together as a team.
2: This podcast was produced by IndyKids, a nonprofit 501c3 organization that creates social justice news for kids by kids. In addition to this podcast, Indie Kids has a newspaper. Go to our website at www.indiekids.org to read the latest issue or to sign up for one of our writing or podcasting workshops. We're able to do this work and provide our student scholarships thanks to grants, workshop tuition, and individual donors. If you're able, make a tax-deductible donation to Indie Kids today. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IndieKidsNews. See you next time.